Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Welcome to the Wicked Library. The lights are out. This is the darkness in between. <laughs> This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. See the latest designs from your favorite brands, including Brizo, at your local Ferguson showroom. The Wicked Library is not intended for sensitive listeners. If you're a sensitive listener, listen very closely. Are you ready? Of course you are, sweetheart. Stop listening to the bloody show! You're sensitive! This could be very harmful to your mental capacity! <laughs> Why are you still listening? I just said it wasn't intended for you. You're not going to have fun here. You're going to have nightmares. And we, your cats. Yes, you will. <laughs> Listen, at discretion is advised. Warning. This story contains scenes that some listeners may find disturbing, specifically the death of household pets. The Annex, by Lee Andrew Foreman, told by Daniel Foytek and Mary Murphy. I stood waiting for my morning medication when I remembered it was my turn to go in the Annex. One week after Dr. Phillips had taken Dr. Brown's place as head of Hudson Psychiatric, they'd been sending a different patient in there every week. It was a new kind of therapy invented by Phillips. The patients of the West Wing were her guinea pigs. She'd gotten everyone's attention when she brought in an old wooden chair with straps for arms, legs, and head. It looked like one prisons use for executions. She had two orderlies carry it in like a statement against our insanity. Everyone had been peering from the doorways of their rooms, slowly creeping out just to look at it. At first sight, it gave me a hot, sick feeling in my stomach that lasted the rest of the day. With my turn coming up, that feeling returned. Three men accompanied me to the elevator that led to the second floor. Some of the patients and I joked that we were normal compared to the crazies up there. Increased security, more guards, stricter rules all in the name of protecting society from those who don't think within its confines. They ushered me through the door and remained on the first floor. When the old elevator bell rang and the doors opened, Dr. Phillips stood waiting to greet me. Hello, Stanley. It's nice to meet you. How are you feeling today? Normal. Very normal. You're feeling normal? Yes, ma'am. 
normal as a Sunday paper. She led me down a long hallway. Nonsensical cries of agony and rage echoed from those locked rooms behind the walls. The second floor was hell on earth. About halfway down sat an oversized metal door with a small peering window. Two orderlies stood guarding the room. Dr. Phillips opened the door and let me in. Please have a seat. She gestured for me to sit in the wooden chair placed in the middle of the room. I obeyed reluctantly. So what is this treatment? The treatment is a kind of drug-induced sleep. You'll get into a meditative state and you will have lucid dreams. Do you know what lucid dreams are? Yes. Have you ever had one? Yes, I think so. It will be like that, but more intense. We'll record your dreams, analyze them, and that will help us get to the root of your problem. Although Dr. Phillips made the procedure sound simple and unthreatening, beads of sweat formed over my face. As they strapped my arms in, I began to tremble. When they secured my head to the back of the chair, my jaw tightened, and I swallowed hard against the lump in my throat. I see you're tense. Don't worry. You'll be fine. I forced a smile. Okay, Doc. But it feels like I'm about to ride the lightning. She began attaching suction cups to my head. Wires dangled from them in a chaotic bundle, leading to a strange-looking machine with blinking lights and a printer on the side. A long sheet of paper slowly inched out, forming a neat pile in a cardboard box on the floor. Don't worry, Stanley. We're going to talk and get to know each other a bit before the procedure begins. I won't start the treatment without telling you. Is that okay? Sure, I guess so. How long have you been a patient here? I shrugged. Stopped counting. Time doesn't matter here. Interesting response. She twirled her pen between her fingers. You seem like a smart guy. So what happened before you came here? I'm sure you read my file in all its little bits. Yes, I have your file. But I want you to tell me in your own words. I want to hear it from your mind. Your perspective. I sighed and slouched in my chair. Do we really need to do this? I've gone over it so many times. I'd really like you to. I started to feel very peculiar. Peculiar? What do you mean? It all started with the crow. Tell me about the crow. Is that what made you feel peculiar? I looked down, rubbed my palms. It was eating. What was it eating, Stanley? Something that died on the side of the road. I don't know what kind of animal it was. A squirrel, maybe. It wasn't big, but mangled to hell. Just guts and fur, really. So the sight of death made you feel peculiar? I shook my head, stared into her green eyes. No, that's the thing. I felt hungry. Later is when I felt peculiar. Dr. Phillips took a breath. (sighs) So you felt hungry. Were you already hungry when you saw the crow eating roadkill? No, I'd just eaten with my wife and son. 
We were on a picnic. Seeing the crow eats made me hungry. My stomach growled as I watched it pull apart fresh innards. It looked so soft, soft and wet. It made my mouth water. Later that night, during dinner, that's when I felt peculiar. Tell me about dinner that night. It made me nauseous. Just looking at cooked meat and vegetables made me sick. I had to leave the table. I see. Her eyes squinted. She rubbed her hands together. And what happened next? My flesh burned, moistened by pure unease. Breaths came fast and hard. I knew how to tell the story, but it was so damn hard. That's... that's when my wife found the dog. Had gone missing. I cleared my throat. <clears throat> my son, uh, Gabriel, he was upset. What happened to the dog, Stanley? I pulled at the straps holding me down. You know what happened. Don't make me say it. Stanley, please. I need you to tell me the story for the test to work. I ate him. I ate Ranger. Why? I, I, I couldn't stop thinking about that crow-eating roadkill. The sight repeated itself endlessly in my head. I couldn't take it anymore. Other pets went missing, too, didn't they? Pets from around your neighborhood. Yes. And you ate those animals? I did. I ate them all. Sparky from down the block. Trooper from across the street. Fluffy and Coco. You knew all of the pet's owners, correct? Yes. I knew them all. What made you choose to take from people you knew? Why not strays? I don't know. I guess it was the easiest choice. What made you choose pets? Wouldn't wild animals have sufficed? Something without an emotional attachment? Considering the crow-eating roadkill is what you say prompted this behavior. I'm really not sure. I suppose wild animals would have been hard to catch. Pets trust you. I could just walk right up to them. They'd be more than happy to go with me. I see. I think that's enough questions for us to begin. Are you ready, Stanley? I suppose so. No, no, not really. Actually, no, not at all. Dr. Phillips inserted the needle into my arm, and her test entered my bloodstream. I waited, wondering how long it would take to kick in. Before I had a second thought, I woke suddenly, still strapped to the chair in the annex. It had gone dark, except for a single red light over the closed door. Outside the tiny window, light flickered in the hall. I was alone in the room. The machine which I'd been hooked to was turned off. 
all the little flashing lights and buttons gone dark. A long strip of paper hung from the back of the printer and ended in a pile on the floor. I found that my straps had been undone. I got up slowly and peered out the little window in the annex door, out into the hall. Darkness swallowed both ends. Only a single ceiling light flickered outside the door. With my ear against the cold metal, I listened. Nothing. My eyes rested on the doorknob. Would it turn? Should it? I hoped it was all part of the test. But whatever my imagination inspired of the dark made me think twice of trying. I couldn't decide which was worse, being locked in the annex or getting out. It's, it's just a lucid dream. None of it is real. I'm safe. My hand found the courage to crack the door open. Silence obscured the hall, followed by a brief, insectile clicking. I held my breath and willed my ears strength for a further listen. Again, the alien sound echoed in the dark. I shut the door and put my back against it, breathed as slowly and as quietly as I could. Heat spread through my innards, weeped from my flesh. It wasn't paranoia or a panic attack. I knew those too well. It was, honest to God, fear. Flashes of when I'd felt it before, a deja vu without image, feeling alone, went through me in bright surges. But they fled in the same haste with which they came. I tried to slow my heart, wiped gratuitous sweat from my eyes, rubbed my palms together. Before I could calm myself, a strange, illuminated fog misted around the chair I'd been strapped to. Voices came from the padded walls of the annex. Their words remained indecipherable, but feeling could be heard in them. Some were angry, others sad, many were in terrible agony. Their howls and pleas for mercy were heard deep in my soul. Laughter filled the room, drowned the voices out. They all fell silent, and the door opened on its own. I stared out into the corridor, waited for something to happen, but the darkness there only begged me entry. As I stepped through the door, the green mist faded away. I looked down both ends of the hall, but my eyes only saw as far as the dark would allow. While I considered which way to go, a lime glow crept onto the floor from beneath a door down the hall. I kept my footfalls soft and stepped toward it.
The light spilled onto my shoes and soaked the bottoms of my pants as I drew closer. Or it, closer to me. Although it made no sound, and I felt no vibration, the door hummed with unknown energy. The knob appealed to my hand, begged its grip. I allowed my hand to submit. Beyond that door was a field, decorated with young elm trees, a place I recognized. Cool fall air breathed upon me, the scent of browned leaves like sweet apple pie. I turned around to make sure I was actually in the basement of Hudson's Psychiatric Center. My feet still stood on old tile. The dark hall still yawned in both directions. But somehow, that beautiful place existed beyond the open door. My legs begged entrance or exit. I couldn't be sure which was which, but a voice stopped me halfway through. That of my son, Gabriel. Another impossible voice conversed with him. My own. Dad, I'm hungry. I watched the other me walking through the elms. He put both hands in his pockets and looked at our son. Don't worry, kiddo. We'll get something to eat after our walk. The door slammed shut, pushed me back into the black hall. I remembered that conversation, that day, but couldn't recall how it ended. Or anything after what I'd just seen. When I tried to conjure the details of that particular day, they came as sounds and images without form. I rubbed my temples. What happened? Footsteps derailed my panicked inner questioning. They came from somewhere at the far end of the hallway. I strained my eyes against the lightless distance. Although I couldn't see them, the shadows were not empty. Someone stood at the end of the hall, maybe watching, maybe waiting. But for what? For me? Hello? Is this part of the treatment? A strange voice answered. You could say that. What's going on? Who are you? What am I supposed to do? That's up to you to figure out. Dim light snuck in through the dark from an opening door at the end. I followed it and entered a bathroom. My bathroom. At the house I'd lived in before I was admitted to the hospital, where my wife and son waited for me on the outside. I stared into the mirror. My reflection stared back with youth and sadness. It was me then, in that place, that time. The nightmares, endless and ongoing, masked my eyes in deep-set purple. Loss swirled in their centers. I raised my fist and smashed the glass. My face shattered away to reveal no reflection, no definition of self. It wasn't me. It was only 
what was inside my head. That strange voice spoke again. It seemed to come from nowhere and from everywhere, from outside and in. That doctor doesn't really want to help you, but I do. What does that mean? I wondered if it was only my own thoughts and fears speaking to me through that odd voice. But I couldn't keep to that belief. That would mean that I was crazy. She just wants to cater to her own goals. I want to help you for your own sake. So what's next? What am I supposed to do? I can't tell you exactly. Like I said, it's really up to you. Do you want to make an admission and forgive yourself? Or do you want to remain where you are, locked inside the delusion you've created? My hand shook. I, I don't know. You had tough choices to make. You're going to have to make another. Time reversed. The broken shards of mirror rose from their scattered places and made the glass whole again. This time, I stared at my face. I saw myself. Not the version I believed, but the truth. I'd aged since the last time I'd felt clarity. A bit of gray had begun to show. Lines wore deeper into my face than they had in my thirties. Sorrow darkened beneath my eyes. A knock came from the bathroom door behind me. Daddy? W what are you doing? I remembered heaving over the toilets in excessive amounts. That's what happened the first time. I'll... I'll be out in a minute. Ranger was dead. His warm flesh had already been torn into and gorged on. I thought the roadkill was just a one-time incident, a learning experience, some strange urge that would pass and be forgotten. Instead, it had claimed the life of my family's beloved pet. At the time... I hadn't imagined how far it would go. When I opened the bathroom door, I somehow ended up in the garage of my house, where all the meals had been prepared. I stood at my table, the half-eaten carcass of a friend's beloved cat laid out, ready to be wrapped and frozen. That's when my wife walked in. That's when the neighborhood realized why so many pets had gone missing. That's when I confessed to eating them all. But did you tell the truth? The garage melted as if a painted facade and left only a blank surface. Reality disappeared. All that remained was the voice that seemed to be in my head. Should I have? I cannot decide that for you. Soon, you'll make the choice. And so shall the consequences be dealt. Consequences? What consequences? You know what's going on out there. What still goes on. Your choices endangered more lives. 
and will only conceal what you hid for so long. The white nothingness which surrounded me, filled with color, bled its way back into the form of something real. I found myself at one end of a table, a detective on the other. His eyes stared into mine. I couldn't tell if he regarded me with hate, disgust, confusion, or all three. I remembered why, at the time, I'd confessed eating the neighborhood pets. A parent will do anything to protect their child, even when it's the wrong thing to do. Only the second time around did I realize my mistake. The detective waited for my answer. I told him the truth, how I'd only been the accomplice of a sick child. My child. The wall opened to the elevator I first entered. The detective looked to me, gestured silently that I go. Would this last ride end my madness? Or would it continue? I walked toward it, its light flickering softly. It took me up, and the doors opened. Dr. Phillips stood waiting to greet me. Hello, Stanley. It's nice to meet you. Are you ready to begin the procedure? Hello, kiddies. So, you want access to the Wicked Archives, do you? Well, it takes money to keep the lights on and keep our beasties fed. Trust me, you don't want them hungry. They might just start eating the writers and then where would we be? Visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wickedlibrary and pledge your support to the show. For $2 a month, I'll give you a key to our collection of classic episodes. For $5 a month, I'll let you hear the bonus stories before the rest of our listeners. Even more tantalizing rewards await for those who want to sacrifice more to us. <laughs> Over 70 classic episodes are lurking deep in the private area of the library, just waiting to be heard by you. Pledge yourself to the library today, and you'll be ours forever. You're going to like it here, I think. <laughs> How much is it for people to enjoy the private area of the librarian, Dan? 